This presentation has been previously broadcast. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is the inner life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to the Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome indeed to the Inner Life here on this Thursday morning, and I hope you're having a, a good start to your day. As we get beginning in this uh, this hour of spiritual direction, that's what we do here on The Inner Life. And to start off the show, what do you know? And when I ask that question, I mean, what do you know for certain? Even if you can't explain it completely, or maybe you can't give some sort of scientific proof for it, you still know it. With every fiber of your being, you know it. What do you know? Is it knowing that you unconditionally love your children? even when they hurt you or they disappoint you? Do you know for certain that roses are a prettier type of flower than carnations or tulips? Perhaps you have an absolute certainty that lima beans or Brussels sprouts are the most disgusting foods on the planet. What do you know for certain? Well, when our daughter Cadence was seven years old, on Christmas Eve, we put on the movie, A Christmas Story. It's a popular Christmas movie. You've maybe seen it. It's the one with little Ralphie. He wants the BB gun for Christmas. But in the opening scene of that movie, it shows Ralphie and some of his friends, and they're weaving in out of adults there in a crowd of people that are all gathered around this department store window. And this takes place back in, I think, around the 1950s, somewhere maybe mid-50s. And In this window, they can see all kinds of these different electric and battery-operated and wind-up toys that are moving around in action. And it's really just kind of this kid's dreamland of toys. And amidst all of the different moving things that are on display there, it showed a couple of model trains that were running around on their tracks. And when we saw all those different toys, Cadence, she turned to us, uh, me and her mother, with bright eyes, and she said, Oh, those look like so much fun. And my wife, Baylen, she said, I know. Wouldn't it be fun to have a train like one of those? And Cadence, she started nodding vigorously. And Baylen told her, you know, it's still only Christmas Eve. It might not be too late to ask for one more present from Santa. And hearing her mother say this, well, Cadence, her eyes get wide. And she leans forward and she says, should I write another letter to Santa? And Baylen said, no, no, no. She shook her head and said, no, the letter wouldn't get picked up in time, but let's try this. Let's go down to the fireplace and you can try and yell up the chimney to Santa and tell him what you want. And so Cadence, she raced off to our family room to the fireplace as Baylen and I, we quickly were following behind her and we moved the fireplace screen out of the way and we pulled the stockings kind of uh, out so that Cadence could shout her late Christmas request up to Santa. And so there's little seven-year-old Cadence, and she's leaning forward. She's kind of angling her head up toward the flue, and she yells, Santa, can you please bring me a Christmas train? And Baylen came up behind her, and she put her arm around Cadence and smiled at her, and she said, well, hopefully Santa heard that. And so then we ended up going back, and we finished our movie, and, you know, kids all go to bed, and uh, of course there's all the excitement of, of Christmas morning, so... 
Uh, there's, you know, <laughs> that energy there. But everybody goes to bed finally. And sure enough, the next morning, when Cadence and her siblings, they come down the stairs from their bedrooms to see all the presents there under the Christmas tree, sure enough, there was this model toy train circling the tree and all the different wrapped gifts there. And when Baylen, she said, Cadence, you got your Christmas train. Well, Cadence, she gave just a very simple reply with complete certainty, a very serious tone. She just said, oh, I know. I asked Santa for it. Cadence, even though she had never met Santa Claus, she had complete confidence that he would hear her request, shout it up through our chimney, and he would deliver exactly what she was asking for that year for Christmas. And that's how we should be in our relationship with God, isn't it? We should be able to have that same sort of trust, that same sort of confidence that God is there. He wants to give us good things. He wants to help us in the best possible way so that we are fully united with him, not only here on earth, but then in all of eternity. And today we want to talk about that trust, that certainty, faith, that virtue of faith, what it is and We want to have a better understanding of it, how we can live out this virtue more fully in our lives. Joining us as our spiritual director today, as we look at this virtue of faith, is one of our regular spiritual directors, Father Peter Cameron. He's a Dominican priest in the Diocese of Columbus, Ohio. He's the prior of St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. And uh, Father Peter, welcome back to The Inner Life. Uh, Anything that you wished for that Santa delivered on just like you expected? Well, it's, well, it's a great joy to be with you, Josh. I don't know, it was a long, long time ago then when I was asking Santa for things, but I don't remember him ever letting me down, so, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pleased with Santa Claus. <laughs> Good. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's hopefully the way it is for most little boys and girls. But to start off here as we talk about the virtue of faith, I always like to define terms, as you know. So uh, first, uh, let's just talk about what is a virtue? Before we even get into faith, what is a virtue? A virtue is a permanent disposition for doing good. To put it out in other words, it's a habit, but not like a habit of like, I don't know, the way we brush our teeth in the, mor- in the morning, but rather it's, it's a, an interior change that um, makes us more human. And um, it's, it, it, it begins to be identical with who we are. So... Uh, for example, in the parable of the sheep and the goats, the the shepherd is looking at the virtues of the sheep, and that's why they get such a great place in heaven, because even though they're not aware of the fact that they're caring for the, the hungry and the sick and the imprisoned and strangers, their whole life is ordered, we can use a kind of a theological term, configured, conformed, to holiness, to goodness, to acting in a godly way. Well, and when you say, you know, it makes us more human, then uh, if somebody is not living out the virtues, if they're living out sin or vice in their life, that then not only dehumanizes someone else that maybe they're acting towards, but it dehumanizes themselves, I would assume? It does. I mean, the very word virtue comes from the Latin word vir, V-I-R, which is the word for man. So what makes us human, which separates us from animals and and plants, is the fact that we are made in the image and likeness of God, and that that is in a constant state of becoming, of growing. 
unlike the angels. You know, they're they're made um, and they they don't become. They they have a perfection from the moment they come into existence, but not ourselves. We constantly have to be growing and and maturing and uh, using the freedom, which was one of the greatest gifts that God gives us uh, as as uh, an invitation to share in his own life. We have to be using that freedom for making choices that lead us to the highest good, which is union with him. And every virtuous act participates in that. And every act that turns from virtue, sins of vice, malice, also bring uh, have a, a deleterious effect in terms of who we actually are. So after we lie a few times, we become liars. Mm. It, 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 it becomes identical with uh, how we perceive ourselves, etc. Not only do we do that act, we have the title of what we yeah. have done. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> well, so now uh, looking specifically at faith, it's one of what the Church calls the three theological virtues. And the main place I always think of when I think of the three theological virtues is at the end of that, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where St. Paul goes through, uh, if I, you know, love is patient, love is kind, and, uh, you know, love never fails, those different things. And he then, at the end of that, says, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So that's where I always think of with those three theological virtues. But what's the difference between a theological virtue and any other virtue that we might talk about? The theological virtues are all ordered to God in our relationship with God. So faith has to do with believing in God and surrendering ourselves to Him. Hope has to do with uh, abandoning ourselves to uh, God's divine providence and how it is at work even in a time that hasn't come to be yet, the future, but with, as you were talking about, with great certainty that that um, uh, it's it's to be trusted. The, the tomorrows that are that are meant to be part of our life are to be trusted. And love having to do with uh, the friendship the communion that we're called to live with God, that's possible because he first loved us. The other virtues, the moral virtues, have to do with our human actions and how they perfect us as uh, human beings, which uh, might or might not lead to living a, a deeper relationship of love with God in a religious sense. But but every human being is called to be just and to be uh, temperate and to be prudent, etc. Right. Okay, good. Well, and so when you were talking about the three, the faith, hope, and love, and, you know, that those are drawing us to God, with love itself, and you mentioned, you know, hope looks towards the future, and I, you know, that's always been kind of the thing I've heard in the past, is that Faith is looking at something that has happened in the past. Hope is looking towards the future, but love is the greatest because it is in the present moment. And so that's why it's that greatest virtue. But um, especially with faith and hope, they seem to be just unbreakably tied together. Like you can't have faith without having hope. They they have to rely on each other. I think so. Uh, but 
this can get very abstract and, and confusing. And so the, the definition that I always use for understanding hope, and this is something that I've, I've learned from Servant of God, Monsignor Luigi Giussani, is faith is acknowledging a presence that changes you and that makes you want to stay with it. And that's how it, we see the connection between faith and the other theological virtues. So if if this presence suddenly breaks into my life and I have a sense of possibility and of wonder and of newness and of new beginnings, well, I'd want to adhere to that. And that, that adherence is what is called love. I mean, I'm going to... I'm going to surrender my whole self to this other as a friend. And then also, it's it's the, the certainty that this is just not for now, but I mean, what really lies behind the virtue of hope is, is, is the aspiration that the good thing that happened to me today will continue to happen tomorrow. And it's faith that gives me that certainty that it, it's, it's worth trusting and taking the risk that this good thing is not going to stop sort of unfolding or erupting in my life. Pope Benedict XVI, when he wrote his encyclical on hope, he said this is what distinguishes Christians from pagans. Pagans don't have any sense of a future because they have nothing to base it on in the present. And everything about hope is is uh, rooted in uh, good things happening right now that are... Um, the, the truest way to look at reality. It, well, and that, you know, makes me think of when we look at Jesus, you know, the one who is, who was, who is, and who is to come. And he is revealed in all three of those different times that you're talking about there, you know, mm-hmm. looking at the past, looking at the present, looking at the future, that hope of the future. Well, another word that you talked about uh, in regards to faith is trust. And, those almost seem like they could be used interchangeably in a lot of cases. What's that relationship between faith in God and trusting in God? Well, trust is um, also a virtue, and trust is something that uh, is critical to live a relationship with another person that involves the sharing of self. But we... We never trust people until uh, they have earned our trust. That would be a foolish, foolhardy thing to do. And so it's the inbreaking of faith that makes me recognize, well, here is a presence, here is a someone who is very different in the way they live their life and who is giving me new perspectives, new hope, new wonder about my own life. And the more I pay attention to this person and see that um, that what makes them so distinctive and, and exceptional is real, it's, it's not illusory, then I want to confide myself to that. And that's, that's the first act of trust. But then going forward, in order for that relationship to become a real anchor in my life, to become the solid foundation of my life, then I have to trust this other even more than I trust myself. So living by faith, which is ultimately the, the, the invitation of the virtue of faith, means I'm going to trust 
this someone, this, this man, Jesus Christ, who has looked at us like no other man has ever looked at us, I'm going to trust this man who is also God more than I trust my own ideas, my own will, my own feelings, my own passions, my own understanding, my own desires. That I, I trust him more than I, than I trust anything about myself because it's only by completely surrendering myself, making a total gift of myself to this other every day that I become the self that I'm destined to be. When you talk about make a gift of myself to God, Another thing that comes to my mind, one of the things I've experienced in my life, I'm a convert to the faith, and there was a lot of learning, a lot of reading, a lot of education that happened beforehand, before coming into the church. But during that time, I wasn't ready. And even I I had gone through RCIA, and I backed out, and I said, nope, I'm not ready to come in. And it wasn't until... I had that gift of faith that came along later that I was able to say, oh, I'm ready to come in. Why is, you, you know, as I say, you mentioned making a gift of ourselves. That faith, at least for me, I experienced it as a gift from God as well, that gift giving essentially back and forth. No, it absolutely is. I mean, Benedict Sixteenth says very beautifully, faith means opening our hand and accepting a gift. It is recognizing that we need to be given something in order to be our truest self. So uh, what you went through, I, th- I think, Josh, is, is not unlike what, what many people experience. So there, 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 are, there are the doctrines, there are the truths of the faith, but until I'm in a position where I'm predisposed really to receive the gift, until I'm in a place where I recognize I, I I really do need someone else in my life because, um, as I say, faith is is acknowledging that there is this this greater someone in my life. Then, um, yeah, I, even if I say yes, it's only going to be a kind of a cerebral. It's only going to be something at the level of of my intellect, which is important, but it's not enough. I mean, the bottom line is that. In reality, faith is not an optional thing for human beings because it's only in the acknowledgement of, a, of the existence of God that we can find the answer to the endless need that a human being is. And so sometimes I have to go through even a kind of an excruciating sense of my own endless need before I realize, well, I need something. I need someone in my life, and then I'm ready to begin believing. And if I don't surrender at that moment to God, especially in, in Jesus Christ, then I'm going to surrender to something else. And St. Thomas Aquinas says there are basically four things that people give themselves to because they, for whatever reason, aren't ready or refuse to accept the gift of faith. And it's pleasure, possessions, power, and popularity. But none of those things are ever enough. And sometimes what's so tragic about some, some lives is that people spend all of their life pursuing these things until they can get as much as possible and still it's not enough because we're not made for anything finite. We're made for the infinite. And that can only be uh, acknowledged and then experienced in faith. 
Our spiritual director today here on The Inner Life is Father Peter Cameron. He's a uh, Dominican priest in the Diocese of Columbus, Ohio, and we're talking about the virtue of faith. And we've done a lot of talking about what faith is, but we also want to talk about how we live that out in our lives and what the effects of the faith are that we experience, as well as what it requires of us. And when have you had to demonstrate that faith, that trust in God in your life? And how has God proven his faithfulness to you? How have you seen God at work in your life to where you have that evidence for that faith, that uh, belief that you have in God? Our studio line is open right now, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Maybe you have a question about the virtue of faith. And uh, Father Peter is here to help us along the way, understanding and how we can live out this virtue. 888-914-9149, our email address, relevantradio.com. More to come on the virtue of faith in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. If you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. Call now. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. The Inner Life with Josh Raymond on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to the program. And uh, today, talking about faith with our spiritual director, Father Peter Cameron, a Dominican priest in the Diocese of Columbus, Ohio. And how have you lived out your faith? How have how has God maybe asked you to demonstrate that faith, that trust in your life? Uh, how has God proven his faithfulness to you? Our studio line, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And uh, Father Peter, kind of continuing here, as we look at this virtue of faith, we've uh, discussed a lot of what the virtue is, but when we look at how we can live out this virtue of faith in our lives, um, during the break you and I were talking, and this just fascinates me, uh, you mentioned that a lot of us might not realize when we go into the confessional that we commit sins against the virtue of faith. You know, I think for me, it's probably common for a lot of us that we know that there's those sins that we commit, but there's the sins of omission, you know, the commission and omission. And it's very rare that I bring up a sin of omission, but that seems like maybe that's where this sin against faith might fall into that category. Uh, It could be so. I mean, the reality, the reality regarding faith is that sometimes we we just want to relegate faith to something mental or intellectual, so to the realm of belief. But that's a, a kind of a I think a, a narrow way of looking at faith because somebody would say, "Well, I believe in the Trinity," or "I believe that the Blessed Virgin Mary is the Mother of God." Okay, so I'm okay when it has to do with faith, but really. It's uh, that's not enough because faith demands, and again, this I'm drawing on the writings of popes. Faith demands 
our whole understanding, our will, our feelings, and our love. This is Pope Benedict XVI. He says, faith is a fundamental option that requires letting go of ourselves because it affects every domain of our existence. So am I doing that? If I'm not doing that, then there is some degree of either omission or worse, you know, because if I'm deliberately not doing it, then it's, then I'm I'm being actually sinful when it comes to faith. And this is something that's extremely apropos, especially given this coming Sunday's gospel, because it's Jesus in the boat with the disciples when the storm comes at sea and Jesus is asleep in the stern, and they wake him up, and Jesus calms the sea and the wind, and then he turns to the disciples and said, why don't you have any faith? Now, remember last week we had the mustard seed, and in Mark, that is not so much about faith as it is in Matthew and Luke, as it is about the fact that um, that that there's that uh, how we look at reality, and that there is that the kingdom of God, who is Jesus Himself, is not going. He's not going to come in in great splendor. He's going to come in this tininess, and we have to pay attention to the the humble, uh, nondescript, surprising, uh, indirect way that Jesus comes into our life. Because only if we're aware of him at that level of his being close to us are we going to be able to make sense of our own life. So even when Jesus is asleep in the boat, he's asleep on a cushion. Why does Mark, who writes the shortest gospel and only includes details because we need to know them, otherwise he would cut them out, Why is Jesus asleep on the cushion? Because he's the captain, or he's the rower. The rower is the one who propels the boat forward. So even when he's asleep, he's still that way. But the disciples have already lost, they, they have lost touch, lost sense of the presence of Jesus right there in the boat with them. It's like having a tabernacle right there in the boat. And they're completely clueless because they're, they're overwhelmed by the circumstances of their life. And to live by faith is to refuse to let the circumstances of our life dominate the place that only the Lord, who is, and that's the meaning of the word dominate, should, should occupy. And so sins against faith are, are, are very often take the form of not trusting, not being bold in action at moments in our life when we're under some sort of a threat or when our well-being is compromised. Instead, we immediately give in to fear or anxiety or a sense of dread or of hopelessness, etc. And is, is it natural to do that? Sure it is. But faith calls us to live in a supernatural way. And this is what Jesus Christ is giving us by giving us the gift and the virtue of faith. You can live at a level. You can live with an intensity that you could not even imagine unless I gave you this sharing in my life through faith. Because faith is greater than anything that we can think up on our own that changes every dimension of our life if we consistently, daily, surrender ourselves to faith. Well, so that, that concept of surrender there, you know, you talk about the, the disciples in the boat there They've got Jesus. They've, you know, you mentioned it's like they have a tabernacle right there in front of them, but they can't see it because of the circumstances of their life that are all around them that are happening in that moment. How, when we are faced with difficult circumstances, those things that do bring on the stress, the things that do lead us to worry, um, how can we 
in practical ways, exercise our faith? How can we, how can we surrender what is happening in that moment and say, okay, rather than me thinking I need to do this on my own or I need to try and be in control, what are some good ways that we can practice that surrender? Well, I'll answer the question, but I, I think that there is something much more important that has to be addressed, and that is we need to be we need to predispose ourselves to be ready for these moments in our life. See, what happens is when things fall apart, we we experience all of this agony and affliction, but but in addition to that, we experience this tremendous surprise. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Well, um, that's the part that we can we can deal with right now because we're called to to take up our cross every day and follow Jesus Christ. So we need to make part of our daily prayer when things are going great. Lord, please give me the resolution and the strength and 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 the and the surrender and the abandonment to you to be strong at those moments when crisis befalls me because I know they're going to because they did in your life. So please give me a serenity of grace so that when those things happen, I'm not just going to fall to pieces. That's right. the first thing. So well, that, that it has to pre, 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 preclude, I mean, pre, it has to be a preliminary to those moments. There's also, me. yeah, no, there's, there's part of that too, where a lot of times I think we can get caught up in things are going well. And I, you, you know, you're talking about that we don't predispose ourselves, but I, we also sometimes only turn to God when things go bad, when that bad moment happens there. And then we're saying, oh, God, help me in this, you know, in this crisis. Um, and we haven't had that. You know, if my kids come up to me and they haven't been spending time with me, they haven't been interested in the things that we're doing as a family, they're wanting to go out and be with, you know, their friends and only want to come and have a free, free bed and free food to eat. But then when something happens and they need, oh, can I have the car? Because I've got this opportunity. I'm going to be a lot less likely at that moment to say, well, yeah, you can have the car. If they're in a good relationship with me, I'm going to be more likely to say, of course, you know, I want to help you out in this instance. But um, it, it seems like there's kind of a, a, a both and, you know, two sides of the same coin there that's happening. It's true. Uh, so this is why, for example, the, the prayer that Jesus teaches us in the Mass today, at the, in the Gospel of the Our Father, the very last clause, if you want to call it, of that prayer, um, but deliver us from evil, that, that's why we pray that every day, so that we have this, um, this, uh, what do you, this habit of praying for the strength that we need to be saved from the advances, the evil means not just taxes or something. It means the it means the uh, attacks of the evil one. Or when we pray the Hail Mary, uh, um, uh, now and at the hour of our death. Well, so maybe I'm not dying right now, but maybe what's happening to me is kind of akin to a kind of a death. I need you, Blessed Mother, in my life right now. So it, it boils down to this: when things fall apart, we have um, only two options. That is to fear. Or to trust, hmm. and uh, and faith teaches us that we 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 can trust. We're given the the power to trust, but God is not going to in any way interfere with our freedom. So we have to use our uh, our everything about us, our our intellect and our will, to make that decision to trust. 
And this, and in fact, the kinds of things, for example, that are happening this Sunday in the boat, where their life is turned upside down, even literally, are necessary precisely to bring us to the place that that faith living becomes the ordinary way that we live. So that when things do go awry, and they're going to, we realize, oh, this is not God being distant from me. This is God drawing me closer to himself and just asking a fuller surrender of trust. Because here's the thing. If we don't opt for trust, and instead we go with fear, then our life is going to be one of terrible um, self-absorption. Because people that live by fear have... No room in their life for love because they constantly have to be finding new sources of pleasure because they're menaced by the circumstances of life. So they have to be going, finding new, new sources of power, I should say, to protect themselves and to defend themselves from the things that otherwise could drag them other, under. However, people that trust, their whole life can be completely given over to receiving love and then giving love because they know that they're being held in the embrace of one who is never going to let them sink. It sounds like a much happier existence, too, Father. It is. <laughs> uh, our spiritual director, Father Peter Cameron, a Dominican priest in the Diocese of Columbus, Ohio. And Father, let's go to the phones. We've got a number of people who are calling in to talk to you. Monica, she's listening in Reno, Nevada. And Monica, you're on the air with Father Peter. Thank you, Father Peter. You've given so much advice that I can totally re- relate to in this situation. And I'm so happy to be able to share this um, situation with the public. So I thank you for taking my call. When my son was 11 in the month of July, he was 11 years old. He contracted the very deadly strain of E. coli. We did not know it at the time. He was sick for a week. I took him to a local doctor in a small town. They couldn't help him. I kept getting warning signs because I am a devotee to Our Lady's Rosary. I've been Catholic all my life. So finally, on the last warning sign, we took him in the middle of the night to Reno, Nevada, which was a hour and a half drive against medical advice. Doctor was furious with us, but I had to go on faith. This was bigger than myself. We got him into a big hospital here that had a chapel with a tabernacle and our Lord in the tabernacle and in the middle of the night, I went to the chapel and I begged for my for his life. I continue to blame myself for what had happened to him. To this day, we don't know how he contracted E. coli, but I was blaming myself for not getting him more proper medical care. And I cried and I cried. The tears were nonstop. And finally, I stopped and I looked at the statue of Our Lady on the wall and I said to her, you gave me your son. I give you my son and anything else you ask of me. And I meant it, and there was such peace. And the words that came to me were this exactly. Release yourself from all guilt. God will be glorified. Those words have stayed in my heart forever. I went back to his hospital room. They told us, get ready. We're flying him to UC Medical, uh, to Davis UC Medical, because he's pretty serious. He's, He's starting to die. There was peace. There were no more tears. Uh, flew in by helicopter to UC Davis. We landed on the roof. Doctors and nurses were waiting. They got him in right away. Um, I couldn't see him. A doctor came out and said, he's in very critical condition. We got him in ICU. We're trying to keep his organs from shutting down. 
Um, we want you to know that we don't know if we can save his life. And I said to her very calmly, do what you can. I'm making arrangements for last rites and confession and Holy Communion. No tears, no crying. And in the lobby was a family that was crying and sobbing because their young son had been involved in a car accident and it was serious. So amidst this, you know, peace and turmoil at the same time, I had to realize this was bigger than myself and I meant those words. So the doctor said to me, do you understand what's happening? And I said, yes, do you understand what, where I'm coming from? And she said, yes. I said, I don't want him to leave in pain. So about 24 hours later, his systems started to turn around. He started to get a little bit stronger. They moved him into a different room. Um, he was getting getting well very slowly. Um, but like I said, the whole time I was thinking, Lord, I'm, I'm saying goodbye to him, and now he's getting stronger. So um, he got well, and my oldest son, uh, looking back, had been in in Lourdes, and before my younger son over to the big hospital in Reno, my son came back with some holy water and blessed him. He was going to Steubenville at the time, and he had taken a trip over to Austria. And the night before we left, he uh, blessed my son. And then we took my younger son to Reno, and they flew him to Davis. So um, he got well, and I told him the words I, I, that Our Lady gave to me. I said, what's going to happen in your life? She said, Mom, I don't even know why I'm alive. And I said, well... I'm sure that God will let you know. Today, he is healthy. He works for the Air Force. He's protecting cyberspace. He's a Catholic family. Um, he's due to be deployed here next uh, January. And very, very happy in his life. And I sent him a coffee cup um, the first Christmas um, after he got married that said, God will be glorified. So Our Lady also has been my comfort and my refuge and I have prayed, prayed, prayed. I've stayed prayed up so that when circumstances in my life change, I just say, this is yours. He's not my son. They're not my children. They belong to you. I'm their earthly mother. But I recognize your glory and your magnificence in my life and in their life. Even when things are not going right, it's important to discern, to give that time to see what God is doing without judgment, without anger, without... There's going to be some confusion because we're human. However, in time, God clears the path, the light shines on the path, and we're able to see in faith what God is doing. But we can't make demands of Him because His timing is perfect. Monica, that is just a remarkable story. And Father, as I'm listening to Monica share this, there are so many different things that... You have talked about here during the hour already, and I just hear Monica living that out in her life. You know, that predisposition, she's saying she's prayed up and ready to, uh, you know, for whatever comes her way, that her children are not her own. She surrendered them to God. There's just so much she's living in her life there. Yes. No, it's, it's an astonishing story. I'm just flabbergasted listening to it. And, of course, 
the Blessed Mother never lets us down, and to put that kind of trust in her and right. to, to really confide so much in her love. And this is why Jesus gives Mary to us as mother from the cross to say, listen, this is the worst moment of my life, and so you're going to have these moments too, and you know right now that you're not going to be alone because you're going to have a, a power, a life-giving power in your life who is a person who's going to love you the, with the way your mother loves you. And all you have to do is just surrender to that, believe that it is so, trust and have faith. Monica, thanks so much for calling and sharing your story there. I, I mean, it just even to just share how you had that peace, knowing that your your son might be facing death. Uh, I, I think that it resonated with me. I'm sure it resonated with so many other people. Just uh, you know, knowing that. Uh, if you can do it, there's hope for all of us that we can have that same sort of faith in our lives, that trust in God, that trust in Our Lady's intercession. And uh, how has God been at work in your life as you're listening here to The Inner Life today? When have you had to demonstrate that faith, that trust, just like Monica was sharing? How has God proven his faithfulness to you? Our studio line is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And we're going to continue talking about the virtue of faith with our spiritual director, Father Peter Cameron, here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, at Inner Life Show, or email us. Inner Life at RelevantRadio.com. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond here, and along with our spiritual director, Father Peter Cameron. He is a Dominican priest in the Diocese of Columbus, Ohio. He's the prior of St. Patrick Priory there in Columbus. And today, talking about the virtue of faith. Remarkable story there from Monica right before uh, we took the break. But also, how have you been able to live out your faith in your life? And when have you had to demonstrate that faith, that trust in God? Uh, How has God proven his faithfulness to you? And our studio line, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Our email address, innerlife at relevantradio.com. And Father, let's go back to the phones. We've got Nancy, who's listening in Northern California. Hi, Nancy. Welcome to the Inner Life today. Oh, thank you. This is like a blast from the past. I, my original origin, I was a native uh, Catholic, or born Catholic, in Columbus, Ohio. And I met my uh, husband, a non-Catholic. I was 18 years old, and I attribute this to faith in God, but I didn't know I really had that much faith. But this 18-year-old girl uh, decided, or he decided, five months he'd known this non-Catholic boy, military boy, and they decided to get married, and married many, many, many years ago, and the faith in God is what really kept their family together. Um and I, it's just a blast of the past to think that it started out with a non, with a uh, cradle Catholic meeting this non-Catholic, who I didn't have any doubt that what he was the right man for me. And anyway, we married and married many, many, many years. And I just, as I look back now, and I attribute to faith in God is what helped me find this perfectly wonderful man. In fact, we were engaged at the going to Mass at the cathedral in Columbus, Ohio, on Christmas Eve. He gave me a ring, 
and that started this wonderful 50-some year marriage. So I just can't um, thank God enough as I look back now, and I think how grateful, how my faith must have had more faith in what I really thought that I had with the trust in this non-Catholic boy who five years later um, converted to the Catholic faith, and we've had a wonderful, wonderful Catholic family. So I just can't thank God enough for the faith that that I had or he gave us way back many, many, many years ago. <laughs> That's beautiful. Congratulations. Yeah, that really is, Nancy. And, you know, Father, one of the things that Nancy brings to my mind, too, is, you know, we heard a really remarkable, I mean, it was something that was kind of out of the ordinary as Monica was sharing her story. Nancy is just telling us about a beautiful marriage that has lasted for half a century. And just having that faith in God and His providence, it also works in just the ordinary ways that we live our life. It does. I mean, it's faith that actually saves us from preoccupation with our 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 own ourself. It makes makes us self, you know, whatever would make us self-centered or selfish. So we're liberated and uh, given our true self because faith is 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 the divine uh, life that detaches us from earthly things that shows us what's really truly important so that we can say yes to it that helps us overcome the sense of oh this is not possible for me or that this is too dangerous or that um, this is not going to turn out well because faith is actually a way of knowing it's a way of being able to look at reality with the the very mind of God and so it faith once we're baptized it purifies our our reason so that we're able to look at things with a, with a capacity with a, an insight and a wisdom a light that exceeds uh just our own you know mental powers it's 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 human intelligence surpassing itself and uh, when we just Sometimes when we just add up things according to, I don't know, our own gifts, our own resources, et cetera, we say, I'm never going to make that work. And right. I'm sure, you know, when Nancy looking at her future marriage, might have been tempted to that. But faith gave her the, the push to say yes. Well, and, you know, also 50-plus years of marriage, there's work that's put into that. It's not something sure. that just comes natural. But that's also our relationship with God, the faith that we have in God. There has to be some effort that's put in on our part. It, it really truly does. And that's why, you know, for example, when the Catechism talks about the temptation to sins against faith, this is 2732, it makes a very important point. It says it this temptation expresses itself less by declared incredulity. That is to say, no one's going to wake up and say, oh, I, I don't believe in you know the real presence today or whatever. But we sin against faith sometimes by our actual preferences. So, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to do this, or I don't really want to think about whether this is right or wrong. And then, so th- then that's just become sort of part of the warp and the woof of my daily life. And little by little, I'm I'm sort of fallen away from faith, even though I still identify as a Catholic. And, and there are a myriad of stories like this. So faith, we cannot live today off the faith that we had yesterday. 
It has to be worked out just like our muscles have to work out. So we have to come before the Lord honestly, humbly, saying to him, Lord Jesus Christ, I I trust in you. I want to live for you. I want to live by the truth. Help me to live in the truth. You are the truth. Show me the areas of my life where I'm deceiving myself. I'm deluding myself. I'm living by falsehood. I'm I'm embracing things that really are, are less than what I'm called to. Give me the grace to acknowledge them, to hand them over to you, and to live in you and for you. And that's a great work. That's a great mortification. But my goodness... It, it turns ordinary Christians into people of heroic courage. Well, and that kind of echoes what St. James writes about in his letter, where he talks about faith without works, without those actions behind it. Uh, you know, if you're relying on the things you did yesterday or that faith from yesterday that you're talking about, Father Peter, it's dead. It's dead faith. And this is why the Church has the beautiful custom for centuries of, uh, at every moment, if possible, making acts of faith, acts of hope, acts of love. And a beautiful act of of faith is, Lord Jesus Christ, I want to live in the truth. Help me to live in the truth. And it doesn't seem like much, but the truth is not an idea. It's not a formula. It's not an equation. It is Jesus Christ himself. It's the second person of the Trinity. And that's the truth that we want to live by. And truth is is meaning that does not, that, that never corrupts. And so that's what we want in our life, especially when we face so much confusion, so much uncertainty, or actual people trying to lead us astray by ideas that have nothing to do with the holiness of God. If I'm, if I'm making that act of faith, then I will have access to the truth. I will become a truthful person and to, to stand up for the truth with a, a certainty and a resolve and, a, and as I say, a a courage, a fortitude that I might not, uh, I might be surprised at myself. And those are so, those are such important words to just kind of conclude today's program with, you know, that we have a culture that tells us that truth can be relative. You know, that might be true for you, but it's not for me. But looking at the person who is truth, truth personified in Jesus Christ, and the truth of our faith. Uh, that's, that's a great way to wrap up the program. Father Peter Cameron, before we do end, could I ask you in the last about 30 seconds here if you could offer a final blessing for all of our listeners? Certainly, Josh. Thank you. Almost merciful Father, we thank you for the gift of faith, and we, we ask, like that man in the gospel, to increase our faith. You know that we believe. Help us to believe all the more. Strengthen us in those moments when we are tempted to trust in ourselves, instead to surrender completely to the goodness and the holiness of your Son, and let us live his truthfulness in a faith that never fades or fails. And we ask this in your holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Peter Cameron, thanks so much for being our spiritual director today. also want to say thank you to Jim Shaper and Patrick Alog for their help today in producing the program. Of course, if you joined us late, if you didn't hear the first part of the show, you can always go back and listen to the podcast at RelevantRadio.com or through the Relevant Radio app. want to encourage you to join us tomorrow as we talk with Father Douglas McKay. We're going to be talking about fatherhood, genuine, authentic fatherhood, both uh, spiritually and uh, biologically, you know, how, how we live that out in our lives. And it's not just for the men. It's going to be a conversation for all of us, so I hope you join us tomorrow on The Inner Life.